When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 27, season two of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. David Alters, our guest from the Nation Network. Going to dive into some hockey talk very shortly. Before we get there, hockey fans feel the action on the ice like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, no worries. You can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals, assists, and saves, and more. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want to. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do win. That's the promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right. I know the hockey story since we last chatted. An overtime win in Dallas. A win at home to Montreal and a loss to the Buffalo Sabres. That Montreal-Buffalo daily double has just been trouble for the Leafs. Wow. Tuesday night against Buffalo. I don't know what happened there. I guess the answer would be not much. But I guess the question is, how much weight do you put on that performance? For me, not much. Nine games left. And I like the way it finishes. I think we've said this before. It finishes in Tampa, in Florida, in Washington, at home to Detroit, at home to Boston. There's enough games there where really tighten the Leafs up and get them ready for the playoffs. And I mean tighten up in a nice manner in terms of being defensively sound. And it would be nice if all those games meant something, but if they don't, not going to worry about it. Let's check out the conversation with David Alter from the Nation Network and see where we are in all this. All right, David, what do you make of the 5-2 loss to the Buffalo Sabres again? Yeah, I mean, th- this is the the story of the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Even in those games where they've played against those bottom-feeding or non-playoff teams, even if they've won those games, they haven't looked particularly good. But something that really stood out about the game against the Sabres in particular, and 
and I think Sheldon Keefe kind of hit the nail on the head. It was kind of hard to describe what you were seeing, but they just didn't look like they were into the game at all. It wasn't even a matter of them just losing to a, a opponent that was playing them hard. They just, they had never at any point looked like they were there. They were ready to play. And um, the number one thing that stood out to me when I looked at the stats were that in five on five situations, Buffalo won the possession battle in terms of the old stats, but not the new stats. But let's put that aside for a second. Buffalo still out hit them by a nearly two to one margin at five on five. And typically when you're out hitting an opponent means you don't have the puck a lot. And that wasn't the case. So they were all around beating the Maple Leafs throughout that game. So it's, it's almost like I've come up with my own engaged meter if you're losing the hit battle and the possession battle, it just looks like you're disinterested in the game whatsoever. And then the few opportunities where the Leafs have been able to skill their way through like they did against Philadelphia, which was a similar game. But in Philadelphia, they uh, they managed to score on the opportunities that they had where they didn't in Buffalo. Uh, that was the biggest difference. And at the end, the, the, the one that was really telling to me was there's 21 seconds left in the game. It's a there's it doesn't matter if you take penalties at this point because the game is over and the goalie gets run like, like, like uh, Eric Eric Schalgren got completely run into and no one did anything about it and yeah. and like I mean yeah you might get a penalty or whatever it could get it could get uh, rough but really it came down to the fact that they just looked disinterested and even when the game was over they didn't really stand up for their goaltender which. It's like cardinal rule number one. If if someone runs into your goalie, you gotta you gotta make a statement about that in some form or fashion. They really didn't do anything at all about it, and that that to me kind of summed up that game against the Sabers. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, even the eye test would tell you that they didn't have very good chemistry. I thought a lot of their offensive plays they tried to pass through a number of sticks. Um, the, the the TSN turning point for me was it's two one. Matthews goes in on a two on one, and instead of shooting. He tried to pass it to Marner, and they just went down the ice, tucked to Skinner, scores 3-1. That, that's your game. But really, the eye test before was uh, there were a lot of offensive one-on-done plays. They weren't able to break down. Uh, by credit to the Sabres, the Sabres had really good offensive and defensive support for each other. No, they do. And look, I mean, there was, there was no physical element in that game. Wayne Simmons was sick the day before. Don't know if that was the plan where he wasn't going to play, but maybe a Wayne Simmons kind of helps. Like getting or Clifford, both of them were not in. Those are your two. Those are your two physical guys. I wouldn't be surprised if either one's inserted back into the lineup just to kind of, you know, make a statement in terms of not getting pushed around or, or whatever the case may be. But um, I think the Leafs were just trying to be unselfish in that situation. And, yeah. and look for the extra pass. And sometimes, you know, this team has been accused of, of taking one pass too many. And then things kind of go back to the other way on transition. And against these opponents, I mean, it was really interesting when, when Bob McKenzie went on, on TSN 1050 with the guys, I believe it was on overdrive, and mentioned that the core was talked about when it comes to these games. And the core kind of bit back and said, you know what? Um, we'll get, we'll take care of business against the teams that, that, that we need to take care of. And, and, and we've learned a lot from last year. I think that kind of spoke volumes because they kind of doubled down on the fact that they really have no choice, but to kind of prove it, this, this playoffs that 
these are things that they can allow themselves to have happen and and that those won't creep in as bad habits going into the playoffs and that's a coach's number one frustration they don't want they don't want to be they don't want their players to be let up in any situation because if you do it once you can fall back on it no matter who the opponent is and even though it's been a coincidence it's been against these teams that have been below them it, what's to stop them from getting overconfident if they go up in a series it, it's just a lot of things that kind of throw caution to the wind here well i mean there's a couple of things there that you said i mean i don't know why they'd be overconfident about anything but right but going back to uh, you know the the tough guys and, and the no response for the hit on shulgren um, you know I, I just have a feeling that in, in certain situations a lot of the guys in this team look over their shoulder for the guy to come out and and rectify the situation. This has to be done by everybody, shift after shift after shift. I'm not saying you pull a guy aside and, and get into a fight with him, but you have to play hard. Um, and the core players, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't see a lot of success from the core players in that game against Buffalo. No, and it's funny. Uh, after the game, Alex Kerfoot was asked what the number one priority is in the nine remaining regular season games. And I thought his answer was kind of telling, which was, Try to collect as many points as you can while not getting hurt. No. And, and I mean, those are the two priorities. No one wants to get hurt, but it kind of gave me an idea that, you know what? If if every game was treated equally, then then yeah, you would play the same every way. But uh, maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe a player doesn't want to take that extra hit in a game that really outside of finishing second or third in the division, like you you... you there's no chance they're going to win the, the conference at this point because Florida's got 10 points up on the Leafs with nine games to go. And you're really battling for home ice and you're kind of trying to hold your position. But do you really want to kind of throw everything at the wind in a game against the Sabres and risk getting hurt in situations where maybe you, you would sacrifice a little more if it's a playoff game and run the risk of not being available for your teammates when it matters in the playoffs? There, there's some thought to that. No one will ever admit it, but it's, you know, it, it kind of explains what we're seeing here when you think about it. Look, that looked like a very disinterested team. That yeah. a team that maybe is similar to the fan base and just kind of wants to get on with it already because it's April 13th as we record this. Yep. This would normally be the time of year where playoffs would start. We've got another couple of weeks because of the way the schedule's worked out that everyone just kind of wants to get on with it and move on. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's some limbo games here. So based on what you said about not wanting to get hurt, uh, uh, you know, circle the game Saturday in Ottawa, circle the game next Tuesday at home to Philadelphia, and circle the game April 26th against Detroit. Those are three guaranteed games where they're not going to, you know, stretch the issue or or stick their necks out to, to do anything just because those teams they're playing are long since out of anything. They're dangerous to play against. And, and so you got six... Uh, nine games left. Six of them are worth something because you're talking about Washington twice, uh, the Islanders, Tampa, Florida, uh, Boston. I mean, these are these are big games, or they could be based on the standings. But those other three are just, I think you want to look away. Yeah, and, and look, as they get closer, if they realize they're in a dogfight or, or the second place spot is slipping away, I do think they'll really try to do everything they can to get those home games. Home games yeah. in front of your fans as opposed to what home ice meant for them last season is a yep. big difference. That yep. will actually be nice to see. I wouldn't even be surprised if Leaf fans travel well on the road for some of those games just because they've done so 
throughout many points during the regular season. There's been a lot of Leaf fans I've seen on the road, maybe more than normal. Um, so, so if they get close and they have that Detroit game at the end, and I can't remember who their their opponent is for the final game of the season, Boston. So that one, there'll probably be a lot at stake there. That could be could like be, an yeah. actual positional game there. Yeah. So, and it could be a playoff preview. Another one, right? That's they're gonna right. Have that. yeah. They're going to have Tampa and Florida next week again on the road. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be games where they're going to be really tested again, and they're going to be engaged. And then you mentioned those other games. It's going to be tough. It's really going to be difficult. Um, but I really don't think anyone wants, with nine games to go, wants to put themselves in a situation where they sacrifice the body more than they should that they're not available to them when the games really do matter. Because let's face it, the playoffs, is the X is next to their name. They're already yeah, in. They know in. what their fate is. The, second, yeah, I, the difference between second and third is an additional home game. And yeah, that may make a difference for one round. But in the end, it's it's how they perform no matter what, when the games start to be best of seven that really matter with this team. Yeah, look, I mean, we sit probably three people apart in the press box. So Saturday night, I'm watching Montreal, and there was a play at the Montreal Blue Line where Austin Matthews sort of leaned in, like he extended his upper body, and as soon as he did it, I'm sitting beside Frank Corrado, and I said, dangerous, and he said, absolutely. So, I mean, and they won that game, but but that's the kind of play where you, where you get clipped or you get hit from the side, and all of a sudden, you got a bigger problem than you thought. I mean, that that's what we're talking about here. So I can't be critical of a 5-2 loss the Buffalo, just because at the end of the day, the question would be, is everybody healthy? Okay. You know, we don't, we're not going to refer back to that game ever again. Right. And, and you know what, that was one of the more engaged games. I think just because it was Saturday night, Toronto, Montreal, regardless of where they sit, it's at home against the Montreal Canadians, their final Saturday night game of the regular season. There, there's a little bit more anim, animus to that. Like Toronto and Buffalo. Sure. There's a great rivalry and all that. But um, it's a weekday game. Uh, they played Buffalo very recent. I mean, they did with Montreal, too. But, yeah, you, you look, when we, we talked to Sheldon Keith earlier in the week and, you know, Jack Campbell didn't play. Sheldon played, made back-to-back starts because he wasn't quite feeling 100%, not related to his rib injury. Same goes for Jake Muzzin, who came back after missing a lengthy period of amount of time with his second concussion of the season, also dealing with something not quite 100%. That's that time of year. No one wants to put their not 100% body on the line to be an even smaller percent for the playoffs. So everything is about preservation at this point. And as, as Frankie Corrado said and agreed with you, certain moves can be very dangerous. And yeah, you can be critical of the way they play that they weren't engaged in it, but it's a matter of the sum of all parts. Like what's more important at this point. And I think the Leafs are doing a pretty good job of measuring when they should and when they shouldn't. And it's difficult for a coach because he can't crack the whip on things he knows clearly will not work in different situations. But the players seem to have a pretty good sense of self-awareness about that as well. Well, in the, the Muzzin return, I always had a bit of a problem with it because he'd missed uh, you know, a good solid month, back-to-back concussions just a month apart. And I thought they'd be a little slower sort of weaning him into the lineup. But I, as, as he came back, I thought he actually looked a little more deliberate or slower the more he played. Yeah, so it's funny because it looked like he probably could have got in maybe even weeks before. And if it was, if this was his first concussion, they probably would have started that process of trying to figure out when he could come back sooner. 
but because it was the second one and because of how horrific that second one looked, it was it was an accident, yeah. but it looked bad. And you just immediately thought, okay, you got to put him away for a while and see what happens. But I remember four days later, he was back watching practice, like behind the glass where there's bright lights and no quiet room, nothing like that, full full sensory. And he, he looked, he was happy to be watching it. His teammates were happy to see him there. And it was a pretty quick statement from him that, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, actually. Like, it's it looked bad, um, but I'm, I'm actually okay. So I think the Leafs did their due diligence by taking a, lo- a lengthy period of time before bringing him back. In that, and I was also, like you, surprised that they kind of put him into that second pair role where I yeah. really thought he was going to be third pair, and they would kind of ease him in that way. And when I asked Sheldon Keefe about, are you going to ease him in? He did say, yeah, we are going to ease him in, but they still put him in that mid-pair role, at least how it looked. But they kind of split the two and the three. So they were kind of, like, I believe his minutes for that first game were still under 20. So they did take him out and sometimes rotate five guys just to make sure and, and, and split up the responsibilities there. But if he's dealing with something else, then, yeah, I mean, you really – Anyone who's less than 100%, like everyone's less than 100%, but if they're at 80 or 70, just don't play them. Like everyone's got to be on their game for game one of the playoffs. Uh, It's been a long buildup to get there. And the worst thing that could happen to him as a core player is not available for something that happens in an inconsequential game. Well, the Muzzin hit looked ugly. So did the Kasha hit. I mean, he was out on his feet. That, That could have been even a lot more worse than it was. Yeah, the Kasha one's interesting. Only uh, only yesterday or the day before did the Leafs actually confirm he suffered a concussion from it, which was interesting because Sheldon Keefe after the game said that, you know, Kasha said he felt fine, he looked pretty good, and he was kind of lobbying to try and get back in the game after that. Wow. Which, which um, I mean, that's fighter's battle, right? They always yeah. put me back in, coach, all that stuff. Perhaps tests that happen later revealed the worst part and it's really unfortunate because you know a lot of toronto reporters we were kind of sharing in text messages who should be the masterton uh nominee for this year and i don't know when that's going to come out uh andre kasha would have been like a slam dunk for me had he still been healthy because he's got 14 goals and 50 games for a guy who's barely played over the last couple years however his season's ending on a a similar note to his previous ones and he's not around that I couldn't feel compelled to give it to him for that reason that like, he's not quite past that point. So I kind of had to go in a different direction. I don't want to leak who my vote is, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a really tough call in that regard. And uh, he, he's been such a great middle, middle line forward for them can play uh, bottom six, top six, uh, broad, brought a lot of speed to whichever line he was playing and who knows i mean the lti situations are are such that even if they could bring him back there's not a lot of space to bring back both him and sandine there's a lot of creativity that kind of has to happen but if he works at it and there's our there's other injuries and and the Leafs go deep in a run maybe he comes back like it's still possible like it really is. He's not skate. He's been skating on his own, but we haven't seen him skating. And um, he's got to get in with the team for practice. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that we see him back. But given it is another concussion, 
and the guy's been through so many, it's not necessarily the right course of action uh, that he even should come back. That's something that, that both him and the doctors have to make a decision on. Yeah, along those same lines, I mean, we don't know when Sandine's coming back, and we don't know the health of everybody. But just from the outside, when you see them constantly uh, moving Labushkin up and down and Lilligren up and down, I just, I don't get that part of it. I mean, at this point of the season for me, it's like, okay, yeah, we know what you're capable of. By the way, you're not going to play in the first pairing in the playoffs. I mean, Lilligren. So, so why do we need to see him there now? My sense is because the Leafs already know that Riley Brody is their top pair. That's what they've, they've ridden on, ridden on for a long period of time. It's what they always go back to when they have the amount of balance in the shots where they have more left than right available to them. That seems to be their go-to top pair. However, because guys like Sandine are not around and there has been some mixing and matching and trying to figure out where people fit in and then Muzzin coming back and then sitting out again, uh, I think it's just see what works before get, – get what doesn't work out before the playoffs start. Like if you know – you, if you know Riley and Brody work, boom, that's your first pair. But then if you don't know what your mid and, and five, six look like, then you really have to try different combinations. And that's not Lilligren being put on the first pair because that's an actual potential first pair D. It's not the case at all. In fact, when they rolled out the D, and I didn't tweet it out as lines, at least did, no one else did, but they actually put Brody Hall as the first pair for that game in terms of the way they rushed it out. And right. um that's their sense that they feel like they're still experimenting there. Brody is a left side is just what happens when they don't have as many left-handed shots around. And my, my belief is that when Sandine comes back and if he comes back healthy enough in the earliest, it sounds like he could come back as the final week of the regular season. Then I think you'll see something along the lines of Riley Brody. Then you have anywhere of Muzzin Labushkin and possibly Giordano with Sandine, and maybe they try someone else on the right side. Like Sandine, they tried on the right once, but it was a first pair. So I don't think that's a proper experiment. I think you got to try him as a right side, perhaps for the bottom pair, where that might make more sense. And so I think they're trying to figure it out. Like we have debates about this all the time. So if we're yeah. constantly debating about it, I'm sure they're not sure. The only thing that seems to be for sure to me right now is I think Riley and Brody are going to be the one, two to start. And then anywhere between Giordano, Labushkin, uh, Muzzin, Hall, and Sandine is, is your best guess between D three through seven. That's a lot of negotiating there, isn't it? Yeah. No, and Lilligren's a factor in there too, but yeah, I, I don't know. <clears throat> Lilligren, the, the best thing he's got going for him right now is his right shot and they're short on that. So Maybe he he gets in there because if they do Riley Brody in there, then they need another right shot. But if they move Brody back to the left, well, then they need they need uh, perhaps even more. So like there's there's a lot to shuffle in around there. But I just I think Riley's best games have been either with Labushkin, yeah, or if they decide to go that way, or with Brody. But then they have to be confident in the amount of left hand right shots to do it. And I think that's what they're struggling with right now. But Labushkin at least in the short term, has proven to be a pretty good secondary option for Riley if Brody is needed to fill out the depths of the pairs below Riley. 
it's funny, you know, watching the Buffalo game on Tuesday night, uh, I was watching Lilligren play with, with Riley, and I realized that, you know, uh, I should have realized this before, but that pairing, went, especially when they're out there with the Matthews line, they've got a heavy-duty offensive responsibility. Lilligren's goal was the result of him going way deep, and he did yeah. it on the next shift, and Riley did it on the shift after. So, I mean, you, you sort of, I, I sort of look at that pairing two ways. I look at how they are offensively, which is a key component when you're playing with those forwards. And then you have to look at how they are defensively, which is a different look, right? So Labushkin, for me, handles the defensive part of it. Uh, Lilligren handles the offensive part of it on that right side. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, what do you want from the pairing? Well, that and, and like how battle-tested are they in these type of games when the games don't necessarily replicate the playoff pace, right? Like, uh, yeah, sure, Timothy Lilligren as a first pair D in a game against Buffalo is definitely going to have more times where he's pinching and going yeah. deep. But if if it's a playoff situation against Boston and Tampa and they're playing four back and they're playing really deep, are the Leafs going to want to kind of go as deep and run themselves exposed on the other side? It's tough. Other playoff opponents have, have seized them on it. I, I feel like they got to they, – they just – have to find a proper mix where they can do some of the aggressive things, but adapt to what happens when the playoff pace changes. That's always yeah. been the biggest knock. And I shall keep as great as a regular season coach as he's been. When these games have had to go to the game seven or, or things go back the other way, the, he, he hasn't adjusted necessarily to what's happening in the game because he's trusted the system and there's been a lot of times where you don't want to break away from that system, but sometimes you kind of have to just adjust to what's happening in front of you because what you're doing isn't working. And that's really going to be an interesting thing to see uh, what Sheldon Keith has learned from when the playoffs do start. Well, the great thing about that blue line, we spent most of this talking about it is it's got a lot of possibilities. So in, in a matchup situation, uh, they're going to, they'll be able to tweak it to, for the specific matchup, which they couldn't before. Yeah, like uh, that's that's always been the case there. Um, when when it comes to being able to adjust and put different guys in, they can get a sense of look if it's Florida and it's a team that plays similar to us, where they're all loaded on offense and go five man deep. Then sure, like like I think that they can just kind of stick with similar to what they've been doing in the regular season, but. If they start to get to the Bostons and the Tampas that kind of play more back and do things a little bit differently when it comes to, to playoff time, then they're going to have to experiment and tinker with things. And I, I, I truly think that that's what, that's what this defensive pair inconsistency uh, in these games is, has been about. It's about shuffling and ruling things out in different situations, getting as much tape in the bank with different combinations of guys. So if you're seeing things happen within game one, you can go back and correlate it and see what works and what hasn't and make those adjustments accordingly for the Leafs. Last minute of play in this podcast. Okay, time now for Yes Guy, No Guy on the way out with David Alter. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. The fourth line is a concern for you. No guy. Um, I think that they've got they've got uh, some good young bodies in there now. With like, I, I like where Nick Abruzzese is kind of put into that spot. We still don't know if they're going to get Matthew Nyes or not yet, as of this recording. So there's that element. Um, but also, I think you need some of the veteran presence, and if there are some issues with that, 
the the Sheldon Keith has shown he's not afraid to to take some of the veteran guys out for for a youthful presence. And if that means they get guys back that are faster and playing with more pace, and that's what the fourth line calls for, it doesn't concern me because I think they're deep enough that they can make those personnel changes and not worry about the feelings of some of the legacy players on this team. It's not really, uh, you know, sort of a traditional fourth line. It doesn't really provide energy. It doesn't hop over the boards after a situation and, and, and uh, you know, just take the body. It's kind of methodical, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh, it almost seems to be a situation where they're almost there all the time when the other team's fourth line is out there. Yeah. Like uh, when it's when it comes to line matching, but also um, the type of face-offs that it requires and if you're using another fourth line center to come in there to compensate for the other line, then it makes that transition a little bit easier. So it has been deployed quite differently and they've had different centers. I think Colin Blackwell's presence has really helped stabilize things by having him as the, the fourth center there. Um, and, and that's where I think that there's a lot of the concerns are alleviated. Okay. Yes, guy, no guy number two. We'll see Shulgren a lot the rest of the regular season. No, guy. I um, I, I really think that they want to try and get Campbell going on a bit of a run if he is healthy enough. Um, uh, I just I don't see the Leafs relying on Shalgren. It wouldn't even really at this point nothing surprises me. It wouldn't even surprise me to see Carter Hutton get into games now that he's in Toronto, and yeah. and they've been working him out and. As far and from what I understand, it's his hope that he can get into a game. I, there's been no promises made, but I, I wouldn't be surprised just given that for a guy who was a throw-in as a second part of a Richie deal to be allowed to stay in Tucson to all of a sudden, no, we need you here because our, our depth is not there, that I, it would not surprise me if you see Carter Hutton get into some games if they really feel they need to rest Campbell because of this not not 100% thing he's dealing with right now. Okay, supplemental yes guy, no guy. Shogren actually sees playoff action. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. You, you me there. Mm. Um, I'm going to say no guy on that one. I'm going to go confident in there that he, even if Campbell's hurt, they're going to, like, it's not going to be a severe injury where they, they throw him in there. Um, he might come in in relief. But I can't, yeah. I can't say a yes guy based on that. So. Okay. Uh, you've answered this earlier, but I'm going to re-ask it. Yes guy, no guy. Riley, Labushkin, or Bust? Uh, I think you can Bust because I think Riley Brody is what I think will happen. Just because I think when push comes to shove, I think it behooves the least to do what Morgan Riley would be most comfortable with on that top pair. Now, he has spoke highly of Labushkin, and Labushkin has shown a tendency to learn and improve, and that's that's really impressed him. Um, but I, I really do think we will see some Riley Brody in there if it's required. Okay, yes guy, no guy number five. The bunting scoring drought is a concern. No guy, I mean, someone, that line is still scoring. If bunting wasn't getting any goals and the whole line was a concern, then... I think it would be a, a problem, but when Matthews and Marner are firing on all cylinders there and, and Bunting is still creating the space and still doing the good things on that line, it's not a concern to me. I know the question was brought up because statistically it looks weird, Yeah. but even if I'm him, I'm loving life right now playing on that line. 
because uh, the goals don't matter. He's not in a contract year where someone's going to hold that against him. Uh, he's got one more year still left on his deal. This is the perfect situation for him and for the team. And um, his play is not dropped in the slightest without getting goals. He's still helping the team. Yes, guy. Yeah. Or sorry, you know, no guy. No guy. No guy. But, you know, I mean, you could build the storyline that, you know, it's a guy who's up for the Rookie of the Year award, even though he's not really, you know, to us, he's not really a rookie and, and his, his goal scoring has dropped off. I mean, you, you could build a false narrative there. So I agree with you. Watching him play, there's no difference. He's just not scoring. Right. Um, yes, guy, no guy. And this applies to the regular season leaves. Who they are has already been defined. Yes, guy, to to a large extent that this team can can hang with the best. And yet this team can have lapses. They're not perfect. Um, if things go wrong, they can go wrong very quickly. Uh, and that happened earlier in the season when they had that two, when they had that three, four and one start or two, four and one start. Um, it was really tense. Yeah, It looked like they weren't going to recover from anything, but they've persevered. And I think that's part of their identity, at least for this regular season. In fact, that might best suit them for what's happening now, that they actually went through that, that difficult struggle and, and not have to and not have to um, endure it for the first time in the playoffs or have, you know, PTSD of, oh, no, it's happening to us again. Because at least they built out a formula of how to get out of it. Uh, William Nylander so famously said back then, stop feeling sorry for ourselves. And I think that wasn't just for that that early start. That was yeah. for the lingering feelings of the playoffs too. And I think they seem to kind of rally off that. So their identity is that they can persevere through tough times and they can hang with the best, but they can, they're not perfect and they can still inexplic inexplicably play poorly. And I don't think that's going to change with, with the Leafs. They're going to have their moments in this playoffs for sure. I don't think it's going to be dominant. So I, I think that the, it's not a bad it's not a bad identity because they're, they're among the best in the league. So I, I do think that their identity has been forged this season. Okay, yes guy, no guy number seven, the final yes guy, no guy for this particular podcast. You are more positive playoff-wise for the Leafs than you have been in the past. I am. And I think that's because the expectations are so low for them that I think it actually serves them well. Yeah. Because I think when when their tires are pumped and they feel like world beaters is probably when they start to get in their own heads and then things kind of fall down. Where I think right now everyone's looking at Tampa and Boston and, and Florida and how tough it is and how, you know, this team doesn't really do much and... I think that's actually going to serve them well as being the underdogs going into it. I think if they're underdogs going into it, they can rally off that and kind of play to all the other things and use that as motivation. And um, I think that's better than them being the huge favorites and coming in with, with a little bit of swagger. I really do think that they, they kind of have to have a little bit of a mean payback time kind of edge to them. And I think that... Um, that's my source of optimism for them this time more than previous years. We'll see, Guy. Hope everybody enjoyed episode <laughs> 27, season two of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for episode 28.